Good evening, and welcome to television. Hey folks, this is Televised Revolution. It's our regular discussion about all things TV and television. My name is Dan Barrett. I'm joined by Simon Band, a man who knows how to smize. How are you doing, sir? Oh, look, I, even though the rest of my face isn't joining in, my eyes are always smizing. Yeah, and a man with maybe the most crooked grin I've seen in a long while, that's Dennis Jugansic. Hey, how are you going? Good, good. No criticism about being referred to as a man with a crooked grin? Nah, you know... Things stick and let them stay. <laughs> they do, they uh, do. Talking about that, just quickly, what the hell is micellar water? I've been watching ad after ad lately, and it seems to be like coming up constantly. Is Sorry, something- what's it called? Micellar water? Yeah. What the hell is that? It's been annoying me. I've been watching ads lately because that's what I do now. I watch ads. I'm not sure what this is either. Is it like bottled water or is that what we're talking it's about? It's something to clear your face after makeup, but it's annoying me because <laughs> I can't understand why is it- can I just call it detergent for your face? What the hell is my cellar? That's the stupidest name ever in the world. Anyway, that's my rant. Pro- Keep on going. Probably because face detergent is a bad brand name. Mm. <laughs> you would sell a lot face detergent. Hey, with a new face detergent. Come on. It just rolls off the tongue. Rolls. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't know. Anyway, guys, let's roll into it because it is a pretty big week for TV. It's a big month of TV. So, I mean, we've got the US broadcast season up and running at the moment, which has been driving a lot of my viewing of late. Now, I wanted to maybe open the show and just talk very briefly about a little show called Westworld. Dennis Gigantic, you seem to be in the very core market for Westworld. Have you checked out the program yet? Weirdly enough, I sort of have, but in, in a way that I only watched it for a little bit and then turned it off. I went, you just went into it? Yeah, I was was on Foxtel. I was on Foxtel? Yeah, it must have been on Foxtel. Or maybe I was watching an ad of it. See, again. I think you just saw an ad because it, it first went to air about nine hours ago. There you go. So unless you've watched it in the last nine hours, then I suspect that you haven't seen it. No, then I'm watching ads then. <laughs> <laughs> so you didn't stop watching it so much as the ad finished. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. And I thought there was a whole show and I went, hmm, interesting. Next. <laughs> TV's getting so much more concise. It is. Just just 15 second news grabs now. That's all it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Simon, have you checked out the program? No, I haven't. And you'd think it would be something that's in my wheelhouse. But uh, just like Dennis, I've seen the uh, extended trailer so many times. I, I feel like I have seen the show. Yeah. Now, I have watched the program, but it was a couple of weeks ago because I had a screener for it. I quite like the program, but I kind of want to chat about the program with you guys. So let's maybe hold off on Westworld chat until next week when both of you get a chance to give it a look-see. Because I think it's a fairly interesting, complicated text in a lot of ways. A lot of US critics have been very wary about reviewing it. Because it's really falling into a lot of the patterns that HBO have developed over the course of being HBO. And it just seems that a lot of their dramas really relate around uh, some... I guess sort of slightly misogynistic views towards uh, women often being portrayed merely as prostitutes and strippers, which you see on a lot of HBO programs. And it definitely carries on to this show. And it seems like this program has been that one um, 
I'm trying to think of what the metaphor is when a dam breaks and it suddenly water flows everywhere. A gush? Is there something? There's got to be something. When they they open the floodgates. They open the floodgates. But this is like that last sort of straw. Like, you know, this was effectively the thing that broke that camel. A bit of straw? Is that how it goes? But anyway, uh, US critics- The camel's back and the camel's back is filled with water. So I'm sure that's not a mixed (laughs) metaphor. (laughs) I don't even know what's going on anymore. But anyway, this is the show where all the US critics are like, guys, enough is enough. We really need to have this conversation. So they're wanting to have that conversation. But from what I've seen across social media today, as people in the US and in Australia have started watching this program, people just seem into it. No one's really that concerned about the politics behind it. It's really just something of which the folks of whom are either A, TV critics, or B, writing feature stories for Vulture.com. These are the people that seem really concerned about it. Uh, is, is it boobs? Oh, dude, it's HBO. But, oh, well. but in this case, yeah. it's uh, robot boobs. Yeah, well, mm. that's it. Well, well, if a robot is a female automaton or whatever you want to call it, can he be mod- misogynistic against it? Can he be misogynistic against a robot? If it's a lady robot, I suspect yes. Yeah, and if, if gender is performative and you have something, you know, Maybe it's got intelligence, like I'm just saying, maybe that's going to be the story arc of this uh, uh, endeavor. And then you create a female visage. I think, you know, it's not important that it's an automaton. Yeah. Anyway, guys, let's hold off on a conversation until next week and no, we'll discuss I'm episodes gonna, one I'm and two I'm going to judge then. it now, sight unseen. <laughs> let's hold off. Anyway, it'd be really interesting to have that chat. So a bit of forward sizzle for next week. Something which I'm sure that Simon watched a lot of this weekend, and I presume Dennis probably gave it a look as well without having really asked either of you, Luke Cage, the new Netflix Marvel TV show. Dennis, I'll go with you first. Did you watch it? No, I didn't watch it, but it has been heavily advertised on Netflix. Can I just say it is the front. First thing it pops up, it is there front and center going, watch me. But I haven't well, this yet. is how Netflix work. They don't necessarily do any sort of financial uh, promotion for a program. And in fact, a lot of their promotion where they'd usually have uh, stars of the show and showrunners and that kind of thing out there doing a lot of PR, it's pretty minimal. Like, as far as I know, Mike Coulter, who plays Luke Cage, did just one or two interviews. So they really keep things down pretty tight. And it's really just a matter of sending out some screeners to critics and then really publicizing it on Netflix home screen until people just start watching it. Mm. And based on my social media feed, like, people are definitely watching it because I saw a lot of Luke Cage conversation over the weekend. Simon Band, I reckon you've watched a lot of this. I've already finished it. I finished it yesterday, so uh, which is probably not a big surprise. Uh, I'm quite a big fan of the uh, the Marvel Netflix series, and this one it was good. Like it was actually good. Um, you know, it's maybe my favourite so far now. Um, and yeah, I just watched the hell out of it and then fell into that kind of, oh, I don't get to watch it anymore after I finished the 13th episode. Yeah, this is definitely my favourite of the lot of the Marvel shows. I really liked that first season of Daredevil, but the second season left me pretty cold. Uh, Jessica Jones, I actually wasn't really all that into. Uh, mostly just seems to be taking the same genre conventions that... We'd already seen Veronica Mars do just a couple of years earlier. And while it definitely added some sort of more complicated uh, textual um, aspects over the top of it, I still just kind of felt the bones of it were just too familiar. I just couldn't really find an entry point into that one. Because each one's been kind of 
like they're all superhero series, but they're all slightly generically kind of the genre's got a slight different twist. So Jessica Jones kind of, even though it's superhero, still follows the gumshoe pattern. Um, the the kind of daredevil is, I don't know, is Catholic martial arts a genre? Um, it is now. It is. In Netflix, in its category, it's got Catholic martial arts. And Luke Cage is a... Oh, in fact, it's probably harder to peg, but it's a kind of knowing wink to black exploitation and street level crime. Yeah, now this is what I really like about the program. No TV show has really felt its contemporary to me right now as Luke Cage is. So, what I really like is that over the last year, we've seen the rise of things like Black Lives Matter, and there has been a very strong push for really sort of the acceptance of. Uh, not really acceptance, but I guess maybe the understanding of the way that African-American men in particular, but just people of color, are generally just treated in the day-to-day um, day-to-day society as white people. And not really to the point of, you know, overt racism, but just subtle things like the black man in a hoodie can't be trusted, whereas the white man in a hoodie is a Silicon Valley entrepreneur. Okay, just that kind of thing. And so it's just been part of the cultural conversation over this last year. And this show taps into every single element of that in a really clever way. So I like the fact that his superhero costume is just him getting around in a hoodie. And it really sort of breaks down that idea of the black man in a hoodie can't be trusted, but the black man in a hoodie here is the superhero of whom is the superhero the city deserves. But it it actually does make a good point in the show about why isn't he wearing a mask kind of thing. And it's like, you know, they just can assume what he's robbing a bank or something. Yeah, no, completely. And it really plays with that quite nicely. I even like it to the point where his superhero hideout is the local barber. And the thing with African-American communities is that for men generally, the barber is the like place where you hang out. It's kind of where the community gathers in a lot of regards. Oh. And there's always that thing with African-American men and women with their hair is a big part of their um, cultural um, connection to one another. Uh, apparently, it's a thing, which I didn't understand until I saw that Chris Rock. Yeah, uh, I, was, I, was just about to, I was going to mention yeah. the uh, the Chris Rock thing as well. I was also going to mention, you know, those movies that were made called Barbershop, which, you know, might be yeah. noteworthy. Yeah. Yeah. And so, it's kind of fantastic that his superhero hangout is Pops, a barbershop. Mm. And, but it's- and the, the actual emotional crux of it, where everything kind of falls pear-shaped, is where the um, structural purity of that barbershop falls apart. And I won't say why, because, you know, spoilers and whatnot. Yeah, and but yeah, it's just kind of interesting that it all just hinges on that barbershop. And it does a few things. And it does something that the... And these are all still made by ABC Studios, though, for, for Netflix. But it does the things that the other ones have done well, like uh, it gets villains right, for example. If you've watched a superhero movie or some of the other, you know, especially DC TV series, sometimes the villains are a bit naff. Uh, Because this has a bit of breathing space about it, you can actually explore villains and not kind of go, why have they spent half of this two-hour movie exploring the villain? It's got time to breathe. All of these Netflix ones... They have really interesting villains that are acted out well. They're kind of captivating and interesting. And I actually think in superhero shows, getting the villain right is essential. Uh, It's just something about making the story watchable. Um, How did you think, uh, well, let's just say Cottonmouth to begin with played out, Dan? Look, I mean, I don't think I'm necessarily qualified to talk about this because I've only seen the first three episodes, I think, so far. 
So I don't quite know how the story progression goes. But one of the things I did think it was interesting from a lot of the conversation I saw around it was just a lot of people saying that the model of Netflix superhero shows going for 13 episodes as opposed to 10 has actually been fairly detrimental. So one of the things that Netflix has got a fair bit of criticism for broadly is that they're really aiming for these production um, terms rather than actually what the story dictates. And you look at the Netflix shows particularly as being indicative of this because, well, emblematic of this, because what they did was actually set out to say, Marvel, uh, we want so many episodes of TV from you. So it really has to fit this. They came up with this structure where it's going to be five TV shows in order to meet the production requirement there. So you had four single hero TV shows of 13 episodes apiece. And then they're spinning that off into the Defenders TV show, which will have presumably another 13 episodes. And it was just determined that this is how many hours of content we want from you without actually really thinking about the story demands of that. And considering that the stories for some of these shows are nowhere near being conceived yet, uh, like that's obviously a concern. It's not really an artistic decision, but rather it's coming purely from that business matter. And people are finding that the shows are tending to stretch a little bit, in, particularly in the middle of the season. Like it's just really a lot of filler rather than actual story. And this does the same, and it's not a, a spoilery thing because you know how long the series goes for. But with both series of Daredevil and Jessica Jones and Luke Cage does this, episode eight, you've got your primary goal that's been set up from first, second episode. And then you go, you kind of breathe the sigh of relief and go, huh, well, that's that over. Nothing bad can possibly happen. And then you get to episode eight and you're like, oh, that's a great finale. <gasps> Five more episodes. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. What horrible thing is going to happen next? And all four series have followed that pattern where because you know how many episodes are coming, you know more is to happen. But they all seem to about episode eight or nine kind of have a, a mini, you know, almost mid-season break kind of quality to it. But isn't that really just a convention of the idea that they are crafting these as entire stories? And so this is really a third act break. Yeah. I is, is, that's, it seems more a structural issue than, you know, just something that's specific to these series. No, and no, I think you're right. I'm just trying to kind of think in Luke Cage's various kind of phases. It's maybe not entirely kind of, you know, going, oh, we're now going into like the third act. But yeah. Yeah, it, look, it is a storytelling convention, but it's just the fact that it's that episode for all four of them uh, that it's not say paced anywhere else in the in the running order. Yeah. Now, over the weekend, something which I was watching instead of Luke Cage was I was finally catching up with the UK comedy Fleabag, which I know that you're a bit of a fan of, Simon. I was a massive fan of. Are you now a fan, Dan? Look, here's the thing. I quite like the show. Um, I thought it did some really interesting things. But in the same way that Netflix, I think, was stretched things out to just that little bit longer, I thought that Fleabag, something of which runs as a six-episode, one-and-done series, and while it may come back for another season, like the creator of it, she's still trying to figure out exactly um, whether she should or not. Phoebe, Phoebe Waller-Bridge. That's the lady. But anyways, essentially, I was watching that, and it's a six-episode run, but for the very tight story that she was trying to tell, I kind of felt it was a little bit flabby at parts, like it would have worked better as a four- to five-episode run, rather than six. And it was just interesting seeing all these tweets come through about Luke Cage while I was watching Fleabag, and it just kind of seemed like it was just echoing the exact same problem coming through. Yeah, um, because Fleabag has its origins as a one-woman play, um, and it kind of follows the similar 
pattern and it's kind of was made as a play that was meant to be kind of confronting of what can you say and how can you get the um the audience to laugh and then have the character slowly fall apart and the audience kind of laughing but feeling like they shouldn't be laughing um uh, and you're right i think this is you know where this six episode mini run and uh, Phoebe Waller-Bridge was also in Crashing as well uh, this year which was again another six episode run that because it was trying to fit that structure it maybe was a little bit uh, flabby in places yeah and I mean Fleabag was reasonably tight but when you sort of reach like episode three going into four it just kind of felt there wasn't because it, it, it it's six episodes which hinge on a very specific story that's being told, and it's really coming out that story from a bunch of different um, directions. But by the time that you hit episode four, like it kind of feels like you've already mined some of that directional forward momentum for the storyline. I also think um, if it didn't have as much breathing room, uh, the kind of the shock wouldn't have been quite as predictable. Yeah. Because that that's was, it. Uh, like, I certainly got that. Yeah, I'm not going to go into it because it's an integral part of the show. But there's meant to be a kind of big shock. But the um, not even particularly astute TV watcher, because I noticed it, and I'm you know not the brightest tool in the shed. Uh, in fact, you know, it should be the sharpest tool in the shed. There's they me proving it. Uh, I was still able to kind of pick the um, uh, pick the. It's not even a twist, but the, the kind of the the thrust of the show. The final act reveal. Yeah, um, which was good. Yes. <laughs> yes, real good. Yeah, real good stuff. Yeah, and I think that's one of those things where... And and you and I kind of both kind of um, uh, agree on this, is the, you know, the ability to co- uh, for comedy to come from a, a dark place. And, you know, this is pretty dark, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, I feel comedy shouldn't necessarily come from a dark place, but a human place. Yes. Like Dennis's beard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it doesn't get more human than that. It's, mm. it's alive. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis, do you have your beard back? Yeah, I do. It's growing. It's bigger. Fantastic. I could sense it. It's, it's bigger and it's in pog form. Yeah. Okay. So actually, um, just to close out, it's actually interesting where, you know, comparing Luke Cage and uh, 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 Fleabag in just one element which i've noticed for both of them that was stand out both you know thoroughly enjoyable you know mega watchable shows luke cage though incredibly likable character like you actually like him and give a crap about him in fleabag not a likable character it's the kind of, no. of the two shows that i've watched this year they are both at the very end of who do i want to hang out with in a fictitious world and the most important question is does he get his kid off? Uh, he's oh okay. Well, this is one of the th- okay. This is one of the things with Luke Cage, which is that okay. Two things I really liked. One, the music in it is amazing. So there's like a bluesy sort of nightclub where you get a lot of um, soul singing taking place from established musical artists. Uh, so like Charles Bradley's in there in the third episode, and as a huge Charles Bradley fan, I was pretty excited to see him. But the other thing I quite like is that the show really explores quite heavily the physicality of Luke Cage. So the guy that plays Mike Coulter, that's uh, the guy that plays Luke Cage, Mike Coulter, uh, he, like people have seen him on The Good Wife, where he was a fairly average build kind of a guy. 
For this, he has worked the crap out of his body, and he is absolutely huge. His head's gotten big and just giant as a result of him just being a huge, muscly dude now. And the show really has, like, these really amazing sort of long-lingering shots just over his body. Like, you watch the opening credits of the show, which are these real stylized uh, sort of nods to New York City, the black exploitation feel that is trying to sort of grow from all of that. But a lot of it is just these sort of swirling shots around, like, the muscles in his skin. And when you're talking about the fact the show is dealing with the African-American community, but particularly the way that African-American men are perceived within that community and the way they are depicted generally in TV shows and movies and the news, physicality comes into that in a huge way. And so the show dwells on that, but sexualizes the crap out of him while they're doing it. Yeah, and also he's so buff, even fully dressed, you can't not see his body. Like even in a suit, you're just like, holy crap, look at this, like God among men. Like he doesn't need to take his kid off to be absolutely exquisite. Mm. But yeah, so Dennis, while he doesn't get his kid off entirely per se, there's certainly enough skin being shown. Okay. Hang on, no, he does get his kid off in, like, the first episode. Yeah, it's not like you see buttocks or anything. Oh, it's no, just you don't see buttocks, no, but it's still yeah. shirtless. You see some... Like butt- buttocks, to me, are the sign of one getting their kid off. And also boobs. Yeah, but he's a man. Mm, yeah, okay. There's also yeah. the lady, lady boobs. <laughs> there was some lady boob nipple. I did yeah. notice that from a very side perspective. Yep. Yes. Moving on. Simon Band, very quickly, you and I have been going back and forth over the last two weeks on this, talking about The Good Place, which is the new Mike Schur comedy starring Ted Danson and Kirsten Bell. Now, you're more of a fan of this than I am. I thought the entire structure of the program was uh, going to cause some problems for the show down the track. I thought the premise of the series was just too broad and didn't really quite work. I've watched the fourth episode, and I have to say, my opinion hasn't really changed. My opinion's changed, even though I've not watched the fourth episode, and the reason it has is that in the week the, since the, we last spoke about it, mm. I've had plenty of time, uh, you know, I could have fit it in at any point, at no point did I even bother to try and get the stream just up. Like, I was, I was f- maybe falsely singing its praises because then the reality kicked in, I just wouldn't even put the effort of loading a stream uh, to check in on it. I just didn't have the motivation over so many other things that are out at the moment. So I might actually have to like concede that Dan, you know, even though I've not seen this episode, I've my behaviour has just been I'm not watching it. So uh, whoops! Turns out you were right. Maybe it didn't. Maybe have <laughs> enough. It didn't have enough to captivate me to put in the smallest amount of effort to put a TV show on. And it's a TV show that doesn't have swears, so I could have put it on when kids were nearby. Uh, uh, but no, nope, just didn't do it. Also, only goes for about twenty minutes. It's not even a huge investment yeah, of time. It's twenty-one minutes. I've probably watched more Danos Direct this week. <laughs> Jesus. Uh, now. I just wanted to say with A Good Place, the one thing I've really just come to terms with the program is, while I think that the overall premise is interesting and there's certainly things to be mined within that, it's just not funny. Like, the actual jokes just aren't there within the program. And it's awkward. I'm really curious to see how the season winds out. So, I think I said last week I was going to give it six weeks. I'm going to see this through to the end because I kind of feel invested in it now. But... 
I'm not really sold. I'm not recommending this to anyone particularly. Okay, very quickly, uh, the last two things that I've seen over the last week is Atlanta. This is the new sitcom of sorts from Donald Glover. Uh, people that know him as playing Troy in Community. He has created the show. He has written parts of it. He stars in the program. This is his program. It's about him as a guy of whom uh, never, like when I was at university or anything, I don't think that was in his uh, social DNA, but rather he is someone of whom is going from job to job. He's trying to make just a few dollars. He can't really afford to get by in life. His parents have kind of given up on him because he's just constantly mooching off them for money and support. And he's got a girlfriend of sorts who they have a kid together. His life just is not going particularly well. It's a really funny comedy about him discovering that his cousin has a burgeoning rap career. And so he decides that he's going to try to follow his cousin around and try to be his manager, even though he clearly has no skills himself to be able to do it. Really interesting, really human comedy that if you like things like Catastrophe, I think Atlanta will be well and truly up your alley. This week's episode, though, really notable for the fact that it guest starred Justin Bieber. Now, it wasn't just Justin Bieber, the actor, but rather it was a actor playing Justin Bieber and the actor they had playing him was a young black man. Anyway, I I can tell from your silence that you're flabbergasted at the entire idea, but it was just really clever casting. It makes for a very funny, engaging half hour of TV, really watching Justin Bieber be his most Justin Bieber-ish without actually really having Justin Bieber on screen. Which is the best. It's a lot of fun. If you get the chance, the best way check to go out Lancer, I think. Yeah. People will really dig the show, I think. So yeah, get on board early. I think it's five episodes in in the US. So there's no announcement anywhere in Australia that they're playing it just yet, but people have means. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and finally, I've been watching The Exorcist for week two, and I'm still kind of in on the show, which I did not expect this time two weeks ago. Yeah. Now, guys, there's a couple of TV shows coming up over the next week that I thought we'd quickly just flag. There's a show called Timeless, which is about three people traveling through time to stop another guy who's also traveling through time from doing naughty things. This is from the creator of Revolution, but also from uh, that guy's name is Eric Kripke, as I recall. Uh, The other co-creator of this one, though, is Sean Ryan, who created The Shield. Is this a show that any of you are checking out? Simon, you'll be all over this, surely. Look, probably. So, isn't that just like Doctor Who, the description? Yeah, largely. And also, wasn't Revolution not very good? Revolution was terrible. But where I'm thinking this might be a little bit more interesting is that you had Revolution, which was kind of a... It was a show with interesting ideas, but the ideas were never really grounded in any sort of reality. And so, you're watching this thing about society falling apart... And you could never really buy into the society that's fallen apart because it just wasn't particularly well constructed. You couldn't believe that this was once an actual functioning society. However, he, uh, Eric Kripke, who created that, teamed up with Sean Ryan, who creates shows which are really heavily grounded. And I kind of think that maybe he'll balance out some of the more flights of fancy, fl- flights of fanciful um, attitudes of Eric Kripke. And I think that's why this one might be a little bit more interesting. So I'm just saying maybe keep it on your calendar. Uh, We've also got another show, which is a remake of the movie Frequency. Now, Dennis, you've seen the movie Frequency. I know this because I saw it in the cinema with you. Is it the one with the firefighters and it's got Rob Lowe in it? No. Which one are you thinking of? 
Frequency was the one that had, uh, I want to say it was Dennis Quaid and Jim Caviezel. Oh, sorry. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was the, the father and son, and brothers. they're communicating via 30 years difference over ham radios. Yeah. 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 It was a deeply emo- emotional experience for all of us in the cinema that day. That's right. Yeah. But anyway, it's coming back as a TV show. But the twist on it is, instead of a father and son, it's a father and his daughter. There you go. Yeah. CW, how do you do it? And the other thing to maybe keep an eye on is the return of Arrow and The Flash this week. Uh, the Flash is notable because I think they're going to be adapting the Flashpoint uh, comic storyline to a, an extent in the TV show. Simon, you're more of a Flash person. Do you know what's going on there? I am. I... Yeah, so Barry Allen, season one, he wants to go back in time to stop his mother from being murdered um, uh, as a child, and then he goes back and it turns out he can't uh, because it's him who was there fighting the reverse Flash, and then other things keep on going on, and then they get his dad out of jail, and then he goes back and decides, hey, to hell with it, I'm going to go do that thing that previously I shouldn't, couldn't, and wouldn't have done for no good reason, and now he here we are, with the, okay. the the streams all crossed and timelines and what have you, and yeah, all sorts of things going on. I guess this then allows uh, Supergirl to be properly enveloped into the the CW fold with the the universes colliding. Yeah, that makes a fair bit of sense. Mm. And then it also means now you've got the four CW uh, DC superhero shows. Apparently, there's going to be a villain crossing over into all four series. So, excitement a million. Fantastic. Now, I've got one little bit of TV news that I wanted to discuss before we get out of here today, which is that Fetch TV, the Foxtel type of competitor of sorts, they're not really quite competitors, but similar kinds of products being offered, uh, they launched a new channel in the last 24 hours. It's a channel called CNN. Wow. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> About it, it seems like a channel that should have been on there from the beginning because CNN's just one of those services that you just expect to find on pay TV. But yeah, so it has cropped up there. So if you're a Fetch TV viewer, I think this comes at the perfect time because one of the things that CNN do remarkably well is uh, coverage of elections. So in a few weeks' time, when the Americans do go to the polls... Uh, you'd be able to watch that in real time and do it properly on your Fetch TV. There you go. Yeah, I'm surprised they've that? actually been. They haven't been putting much on that on that TV service. Yeah, okay, you could say Optus Sports and things like that, but there still hasn't been a lot of stuff on there. Uh, Fetch TV have introduced quite a few new channels this year already. This so year. we saw the launch of Comedy Central and Spike, which are two rather large brands. We've seen CNN launch on there, obviously, today. So that's three. And I feel there was another one or two earlier in the year. Yeah. Yeah. I I think as far as, you know, I think it's doing all right. Hey, I noticed Triple One Hits is now called, or Triple One, is now called- Triple One Funny. Funny. Is it funny, is it? Yeah. Yeah. That was terrible. It's weird. Uh, They've been doing it for a few months at least. Mm, Okay. Yeah. I know. It's a bit strange. But yeah, it's just old sitcoms now, effectively. Yeah. Anyway, guys, let's just open up the conversation. Uh, what have we been watching this week? Dennis, we'll go with you first. You've been rather quiet this week, so what do you got? Yeah, I've been watching anything too crash hot. I'm um, just watching, again, just lots of movies been downloaded. I saw on Ghostbusters. Not very good. Don't watch it. It's terrible. <laughs> That's bad. That sounded like a Donald Trump movie review. <laughs> that was a Donald Trump movie review. 
Uh, I'm hearing Ghostbusters, not very good. Yeah. Don't watch it. Terrible. <laughs> Terrible. Why would they do that? Such horrible things. Um, other than that, um, what else have I been watching? Um, nothing really of exciting. Just my usual shows I've been watching. Um, bit of the grand design. I, actually, I don't mind. Um, been watching a little bit of. Um, what's that? Used, used to be a UK one. It's on Lifestyle. Like, name this show, people. River Cottage. That's it. I've got it. River Cottage Australia. Cottage is Australia. Yeah, actually, I don't mind that one. So, been watching a couple episodes of that. So that's been been, been pretty good. So, um, okay. And a bit of um, RuPaul Drag Race. That just comes on now and then. Watch a bit of that. It's always good. And you're watching that on Foxtel, which I believe is just a couple of hours after the US now. Ooh, is it? I do believe so. There you go. It's pretty good. Yeah. There you go. That's what I've been watching. Uh, Simon Band, what's been on your dial? Uh, so, Luke Cage, as we discussed. Um, also, I've kept on going through uh, Star Trek The Next Generation. And in my notes, all I've written down is Gates McFadden back. So, that tells you where I'm up to. Season three. Yeah, season three, and I'm going to miss uh, Dr. Well, female bones, uh, but you know, it's nice <laughs> to have, it's nice to have Gates McFadden back, and again, surprise, didn't fall down a turbo lift. Yeah. Yep. Oh, wait, I did that joke last week, didn't I? No, no, you did that before we started the podcast. Oh, well, that's recording. all right then. Yeah, yeah, just, you know, that's just the best. I just think that's the best. I always thought in my head that continuity-wise, L.A. Law, she was on that before Star Trek, but it turns out to be the other way around. Oh, really? Because yeah. I thought it was the other way around as well. Yeah, so she, um, weird, what's it, the woman who played Dr. Polanski, whose name I've now totally blanked on, um, uh, whatever it was, um, she went in for, for Star Trek with the kind of the next generation not realizing she'd actually played two or three characters on original Star Trek. Um, and she actually used, I believe, the next generation um, as uh, was basically her audition for L.A. Law. Uh, that she used um, her what's it from that just to get the LA law job uh, kind of without even a um, uh, uh, what's that thing where actors go and they like an audition audition that's the word yeah so kind of without audition that was her her kind of um, audition tape for LA law and you're saying she was an original Star Trek yeah she was but like background characters okay I'm just going back through the filmography right now well you should do uh, that because I might be wrong but I'm pretty sure I'm right. The first started in 1954. Yeah. Yeah. And no, because um, uh, and the reason she it was interesting because she um, uh, you know, was connected and kind of invited for new Star Trek because she was still kind of friendly with the the Roddenberry from the um uh, original Star Trek Christmas parties. Yeah. Uh, so she did two Star Treks back in 1968. Mm-hmm. She played Doctor Miranda Jones in the episode "Is There Truth in No Beauty." And also played Anne Mulhall in Returns to Tomorrow. Well, there we go, see? And uh, so apparently that's like a thing where the Next Generation production wasn't aware of that. It's only because I've been looking at Star Trek wikis just to figure out where her character went. Hmm. Anyway, really interesting. And of course, these days people can see Diana Mulder. Uh-huh. Actually, you can't see her because she doesn't seem to have done anything since 1993. Oh, I wonder why that is. Maybe she's still. Mm, I guess she retired. Maybe she's still down that elevator shaft. Yeah, possibly. Um, yeah, uh, and otherwise, I think the only things I'll be watching this week is um, 
uh, Elementary comes back for season five. Uh, that's just my little pet love. But also that um, Louis Thoreau uh, new doco. No, not the Scientology one. The one uh, where he revisits uh, Jimmy Savile and how how Jimmy Savile was able to get away with all of the things that he did for so long and kind of even looks at his own interactions with him with his original kind of Jimmy Savile doc and how, you know, he was even friends with him uh, and that kind of difficultiness of, uh, difficultness of actually having built a, um, uh, a rapport and a friendship with someone and, you know, generally, genuinely liked him even though he's a monster. Hmm. Yes. Yes, yes. Um, I just wanted to give, and I've mentioned this a few times before, but I'm just going to do it again. Uh, This week's episode of The Circus, which is Showtime's look at the the behind-the-scenes machinations of the current US election campaign. Uh, This week it explored the uh, first debate and the media fallout that sort of uh, took place as a result. So what they do is they go behind the scenes of the debate night and you see... Uh, particularly, they talk to Megan Kelly from Fox News to begin with, but then you watch over the week the way the media actually do construct the story and how it kept on flowing sort of um, entire sort of against what Donald Trump was doing and derailing his campaign as the week's gone on. It has not been a good week for him. And what's fascinating about this program is that it's effectively shot in real time so that the episode we've just watched has been covering the seven days from the election debate going through to, I think, sort of Saturday morning. Actually, no, Saturday evening. So really, this is a quick turnaround where it's only within about 36 hours later that we're seeing this as a fully edited program. And it looks gorgeous. It is an amazing production. If anyone is not watching The Circus, you're really doing yourself a disservice because it is phenomenal TV. It's really captivating. It's funny. It's really clever. And more importantly, it's really timely and is giving it quite a fair bit of... Um, it, I guess it's giving a narrative to a lot of the news that we're consuming right now. And rather than just letting people, rather than letting the world sort of dictate what you think is going on, they really are giving it a very clear um, political narrative based on many years of working in the industry and knowing exactly how politics work and where it's likely to head. Really fascinating stuff. Please give the circus a look. Let's get out of here. Simon Band, you're on Twitter. Where? Uh, at Simon Band. Uh, Dennis, are you still on the Twitter? Yeah, I'm there at D&D AOS. Are you really there? Yeah, you know, sometimes. You did tweet during the week. Did I? You oh, did. <laughs> did I? Uh, people can find me at the Dan Barrett, but more importantly, check out Televised Revolution on Twitter. That's TV underscore Rev. Now, we are doing this on Monday nights. Daylight Savings has kicked in, and it's gotten rather late for me, so let's wind this down. Folks, this has been Televised Revolution. We'll be back next week. Oh.